Support for Decoder comes from NetSuite. Here are some numbers all business owners should know for 2024. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash decoder. That's netsuite.com slash decoder to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash decoder. Support for this episode comes from The Current Report. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. We have a special episode today. Repeat Decoder guest host slash Verge deputy editor Alex Heath is here. Hey, Alex. Hey. Alex, you just spent some time with Roblox CEO David Bazuki at the company's headquarters in San Mateo, California. How'd it go? You know, I've been wanting to interview David for a long time. Roblox is a fascinating company. Neelai, is your daughter Max on Roblox? Max just got Roblox and Minecraft. She got them because she is obsessed with watching Let's Play videos on YouTube. So she watches other people play Roblox as entertainment, and now she's obsessed with it herself. She's five. <laughs> yeah. So and this cycle to me is like a PhD thesis in, in media. <laughs> yeah. So if you have kids, you probably have at least heard of Roblox. If you don't have kids like me, you may not know about the company at all. But Roblox is trying to change that by aging up the kinds of experiences that are allowed on the platform. It recently introduced 17 and up experiences. David and I talked about that and the strategy there. Yeah, what's fascinating to me is that it has been years since the number of adults playing games has kind of vastly outnumbered the number of kids playing games. But we still think of games and and games like Roblox especially as kids' platforms. But the growth is in adults, and in particular for these virtual world games, to expanding to be much more than just games. That's right. So Roblox, if you think about it, it's already a metaverse in a way. So schools are using it for classes. Companies are starting to advertise there. And people are just hanging out as avatars. The platform has 66 million daily active users and people spent 14 billion hours on the platform just last quarter. So it's already big. But as you'll hear from David, the hope is to get much, much bigger. Speaking of bigger, this conversation was too big to fit into one episode of Decoder. So I should note for the audience, David is actually going to come to the Code Conference and sit down with Alex once again in September. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. There'll be a lot more to talk about then since Roblox will have just had its big developer conference. There are whole studios being funded to build specifically on Roblox. It's actually a huge developer platform as well. And David and I talked about it in this interview. I'll also want to check in with him in September on just how well this aging up strategy is going. I think it may be a tougher sell to older people than he thinks. One thing I'm really excited about this whole idea is that we'll be able to set the foundation for these conversations on a code conference here on Decoder and then check in on things in September. This is a pretty good test case. Let us know how you think it works. Okay, here's Alex Heath with Roblox CEO David Pasuki. Here we go. 
David Bazuki, you are the founder and CEO of Roblox. Welcome to Decoder. It's great to be here. Thank you. The company recently announced that for the first time, 17 and up experiences are being allowed. It's a big shift for the platform. So big picture, why do this now? Yeah, it's actually even five years ago. Why do it? And huh. and probably five or six years ago, um, when we weren't as big as we are today, we developed this theory all ages around the world, not just playing, but ultimately learning or going to work or going to concerts or all of this stuff. So, it, so we developed this theory of there's so many ways to grow. And one is all ages. And we said, um, as we typically do, uh, what would be the hardest way to do this? The, the easy way might be to split the platform, mm -hmm. have an older Roblox or a younger one. The hardest would be to be so good at safety and civility across the platform that we could start supporting those older, more mature experiences at the same time. And that mm -hmm. was the discussion. I'm so proud of what we've done now with 17 and up. You know, we're using photo ID, you know, validating ages, kind of slowly and gently bringing this in. But I'm super optimistic that it supports that vision that these types of really these types of platforms that Roblox are are future communication and connection platforms. And they're they're not just for six-year-olds. They're not just for 14-year-olds. They're for 60-year-olds. They're for 35-year-olds. They're really for everyone. You guys have been pointing out for the last year or so that your user base is shifting increasingly older. It's, it's almost natural. And the amount of usage we have, for example, in USA 9 through 12 is pretty staggering. There's still a lot of room for growth in USA 9 through 12. But historically, the opportunity we have in 17 and up it's massive, really. And, and there's so many users out there. What has happened is what we've expected and hoped would happen is that as the quality of the product goes up, as search and discovery gets better, as developers make more interesting experiences, uh, just like we grew organically with 9 through 12, we would see that with 17 and up. And we've seen it, uh, 17 through 24 USA, 35% year on year. It's really exciting. I, I met someone, a uh, 21-year-old member of our family uh, last week, and he's like, oh, Roblox. Uh, he said, all my 21-year-old friends are playing Roblox. Really? I'm like, what is up with that? Huh. Like, that is exactly what- were what, they playing? Uh, they were playing, I think, Doors. They were playing Murder Mystery. Huh. He, he knew the names of these experiences, and it was a- uh, was an early touch point for me of that type of behavior we want to see. So are your users aging up? Because, I mean, Roblox as a company is a young adult now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roblox has been around for a long time. So how much of it is that, is users aging up, which happens naturally on these social platforms versus older, new ages? Uh, I, I think we see both, right? Okay. We see the, the people who have been on Roblox for 12 years now, and a lot of our creators have been on the platform for 15 years, which is really, really cool. In this case, though, this was like word of mouth, 21-year-old uh, friends, like, oh, go try this out. Hmm. So I, I think they, they are both coming together. And as we get into 30 and up, less of those people have been on the platform before. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like I'm one of your like target users to come on the platform 30, don't have kids yet. Yeah. The thing with Roblox that I am still trying to figure out is that it is such a social platform. It's more than just gaming. You've talked to people there. 
And as a gaming platform, I could see you eventually getting experiences that are compelling enough in their own right as like a first person type experience for someone my age. But how do you get all my friends on there? It seems like a tricky problem and a unique problem for you all as a company. How are, how are you thinking about that social graph component of aging up? Yeah, I think um, if we take a step back, arguably just the gaming market is huge. Yeah. And so there's, there's arguably a company strategy where we're just going to be the best at gaming, we have all these developers. They're starting to go from one to five to 10 to 100 person studio. You've got studios merging now, which well, is like yeah. a VC back studio. Like we have all of that. I think when we take a step back and we look at the history of technology, we believe it's much bigger than gaming. And we believe there's been a historical evolution of just how do people communicate and connect? Um, I used to send you a letter, right? It took four days to get there. And then we had, um, maybe I could send you a telegraph, okay, one hour. Then we had the phone system. I could call you and start to have a bit of a emotional connection. And then for the last two to three years, we've been on video. Um, we believe the next wave of this is 3D simulation communication. And, and there's inherent benefits of 3D simulation that I think all the young people on Roblox figured out 15 years ago, and that in 3D simulation, we can play hide and seek. Um, we can go uh, get a high school diploma and walk down the aisle. We can have a birthday party. We can pretend we're in the office together. Those are some that I think have been discovered so far. I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, say we want to have a Roblox company meeting with 2,700 people. It's one thing to have everyone on Zoom or any video thing. It's very different to have 2,700 people feel like we're all in the same place. Um, me whisper to someone next to me, hey, what do you think of Dave kind of thing? Walk around, have all of that social stuff. So as far as body language cues, uh, being in the same place, audio, I think there's just a lot of inherent benefits. And so I think it's bigger than gaming. It's how people ultimately communicate at work, how we go to school, how we go to concerts, a wide range of stuff. There's already been, I don't know if you've seen this, some interesting reactions to this in the Roblox community, I think especially among your younger developers yeah. who have also noticed that at your gaming conference this year, for example, it's the first year that it's only 18 and up allowed. You're not allowing you know minors accompanied by yeah, adults yeah, yeah. this year. And so I think there's already some tension where people are going, does this aging up that's happening mean that Roblox is going to leave behind the young developers who helped get the platform to where it is yeah. today? I'm super optimistic that this isn't going to be an issue. And, I, and I'm so optimistic because so much um, Roblox is starting to be used for computer science education. It's starting to work its way into not just coding education, but first robotics, for example. Like not everyone has a a, a, the ability to have the physical hardware to compete in robotics, doing that in a simulated way, um, learning about traveling to Mars, mission to Mars. So I think there's just going to be such continued educational groundswell. It, it's it's much bigger even than our developer mm -hmm. community. I think for RDC, you're right, it's going to be 18 and up. There's just a lot of, you know, it's becoming a grown-up professional type event. But 
I think our roots are so much in the community and, you know, those younger people, they'll continue to be amazing 13-year-old creators who, you know, start to make a living on Roblox. I, I don't think there's any risk of that. People spend, I think, roughly, what, $3 billion a year or so on Roblox. You've got your currency, Robux. What are they buying? What are people, I think parents are sometimes wondering this too, like, what is my kid buying? I mean, I think one of our innovations was to trust the creativity of our developers and to trust rather than very, being very regimented around what you might buy in an experience. So if we provide the core platform and the infra, we'll be really surprised by it. And we continue to be really surprised by, you know, in the in the early days, we were like, oh my gosh, someone's selling flashlights. That's really cool. Like, that's really interesting. You know, whatever our creators have sold, vehicles, clothing, you know, VIP passes, all of that, they continued to astound us with their creativity. And, and I think our creators are always very wisely balancing new users, fun retention without people spending with those fun things that some people can buy on top of it. One of my favorites was Bird Simulator. Uh, a long time ago in Bird Simulator, you could have all kinds of things. You pretend you're a bird, catch you know animals. What's it like to be a bird? And if you wanted to be an eagle sooner than later, you could pay a little to do that. So it's really um, astonished us at the... <laughs> I think it's astonished me too. I mean, you see just things that you're like, wow, it costs that much to have this virtual item in in Roblox. I think then we get out of the experience into virtual items. And I would say I have a personal thesis about virtual items. And I think it is astonishing that luxury goods can be so expensive, right? In the, um, my son was telling me about a certain brand of watches that music stars wear that cost $250,000. I'm going like, whoa, I didn't even- There's several of those. I (laughs) I didn't even know that. But what it highlights is that Uh, These behaviors in the digital world, once again, may start to mirror what happens in the physical world. And I think if you and I, for example, long-term spend one or two hours in the digital world and 16 hours in the physical world, it's arguably possible that our clothing, what we wear, we would prorate a value that. And if I'm spending 5% of my time in the digital world, I might spend 5% as much digitally on what I'm wearing in the brand as what I spend in the physical world. On the developer side of making experiences, um, I've seen some analysis that the platform is trending towards fewer devs making more of the money. I'm wondering if that's something you're seeing in the data. And if that is uh, fun, I would say misconception. Okay. And I've actually uh, recently looked at the aggregated growth rate of top 10 devs, top 100 devs, top 1,000 devs. And over the last three to four years, the growth rate in the spending of dev number 1,000 is faster than dev number 10 and dev number uh, 100s in the middle. Uh, Dev number 10 right now, growing faster than our bookings uh, year on year, which is super exciting. We want those devs to be growing their earnings. Dev number 1,000, I think, went from very small numbers three or four years ago 
to, I think, you know, easily making a living now and growth rates in the two, three, four X over the last few years. So, so that's a really sign of a healthy. Yeah. So ecosystem. that long tail is still important. To platform. I, I, I th- it's almost like you can imagine that long tail is uh, everything's accelerating. That long tail is accelerating even more rapidly, huh. okay. which is, which bodes well for interesting content, bodes well for new experiences popping up. And so, yeah, I guess if we ran the number, our ecosystem, which is going to um, distribute over $800 million this year, supports a lot of developers. Like there are a lot of people making a living on Roblox right now. And you announced ads recently, immersive ads. There's going to be a developer component of that where they can also tie into the advertising system. This has been so, this is so true to the Roblox vision of why would we control the ad marketplace? Why wouldn't we build a developer-powered ad marketplace? Um, We have the thesis that uh, the more immersive the brand advertising, possibly the more memorable. We have the notion that native is very interesting. And so when we look at the history of advertising, print, web image, web video, um, starting to get integrated in various platforms and native formats. You know, you name it, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, they all have their more native formats. What's really interesting for us is if we're walking around um, here and pick your favorite brand, it could be Gucci, Nike, you know, Vans, you name it. If we see a portal that says, hey, stop by the store and check it out, we literally go to that place and we we go to the Nike or the Vans or the Gucci experience for a few minutes and come back to where we are. So we're very bullish on a new ad unit that I would call a portal ad unit, where if I'm a developer, I put a, a blank portal somewhere in my place. Um, it's dynamically served. Uh, the advertisers can choose which developers they want to be with. And I make you know, I participate as a developer in those earnings. I think the potential here is amazing. Uh, once again, massive, because when you and I go to a three, you know, just like we're in a shopping center, we go into a store, it's just like, okay, we're fans, let's hang out, let's check it out. I think those are pretty deep memories. It's also interesting that it doesn't get in front of the user. It's very optional. And the early signals we've had, which is we're, we're out starting to talk to advertising agency, there's a lot of demand for this. It's very interesting. How much of your aging up strategy is tied to this ads push? Because you can give marketers a, a I think guarantee that they're reaching an older I, audience. Yeah, I would say it's, it's actually a byproduct rather than a weird intention. So the strategy wasn't to do them together. Yeah. I I don't think our strategy would be, oh, we got to do 17 up so we can make more money. I think our strategy would be, we believe this is a platform for all ages. Oh, by the way, we are doing 17 up. Advertising is really interesting. That 17 through 24 segment is potentially very valuable, especially in an experiential format. So it was more the other direction. How do you balance developers being able to advertise their experiences on the platform and ensure that that doesn't game discovery, that that doesn't become a, I, I think a, a pay to play? It, it's so interesting. I think we have an amazing discovery team that is focused on organic discovery and doing it 
as 100% objectively and, uh, you know, fairly as possible. Like, we don't want to be putting our finger on the scale here. I think we have some big innovations on discovery, on organic versus paid that we've been talking about. But I do think our our long-term vision is 100% fair, 100% objective, and an appropriate balance of organic and paid discovery. So it sounds like there's potentially big changes coming to how discovery works on Roblox. Uh, I would say long-term, it's just going to get more and more fair. Um, It's already very fair, but I think we're thinking at a scale of 10x when there's both brands buying for discovery as well as young developers who just launch their own. Like, Like, how do we really balance a big brand wanting to spend a lot of discovery and some up and coming dev in a really interesting way that gives us all of what we want. And, and I think we all want the same thing. We want that classic story of a young developer just made their place. There's 200 people there. We want our organic discovery to bubble that up. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, you know, it's sometimes called uh, one arm bandit or whatever, like get more and more people to see that. And we, we also want a brand to be able to advertise. So I, th- I think we're, we're going to be very thoughtful in making both of those possible. We have to take a quick break. We'll be back in a sec. Support for Decoder comes from Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that you can use to build a website and help people find your ventures. Whether you're seeking a location for your podcast, teaching language courses, or selling handcrafted ceramics, Squarespace has all the tools you need to create a home on the web. You can create a polished, professional place that connects people with whatever it is you're excited about. Squarespace also supports all forms of connecting with those people, whether you're selling products online or in person, or offering memberships. You can make your website look exactly how you want it. They even have the tools to help you create a custom logo. And they make it easy to create a place for people to schedule an appointment with you, browse your services, or learn more about why you do what you do. Visit squarespace.com decoder for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code decoder to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for Decoder comes from Green Chef. If you could make a single change in your life that made you feel better and got you performing at your highest level, you'd do it, right? That's what makes Green Chef such a no-brainer. The meal kits offer a ton of delicious options that make it easy to eat cleaner and feel better without spending hours in the kitchen. They'll deliver everything you need to make convenient, wholesome, tasty meals right to your doorstep with more than 80 meal options available every single week. Green Chef's menu is packed with farm-fresh ingredients you might not find elsewhere, like figs, artichokes, and sustainably sourced seafood. Plus, their menu now includes a ton of science-backed gut and brain health recipes, which were developed with dietitians to boost energy and immunity while improving digestion. Go to greenchef.com slash 60decoder and use code 60decoder to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com slash 60decoder and use code 60decoder to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. We're back. I'm Alex Heath from The Verge, talking to David Bazuki, the CEO of Roblox. Roblox is kind of at an inflection point. You all recently announced some big news that you're opening up experiences specifically for older audiences, 17 and up, which is a big shift for the yeah. platform. 
talk a little bit more about how you got there. So you started as this 2D educational platform. When did Roblox become kind of more of what it is today? And how did that happen? I, I think it's it's interesting because we have two values that work together to, they almost signify how we've worked through this, which is one is take the long view. Like if we can imagine it and if we think it's technically possible with the compute power and the devices that people have, we want to aim for that. But constant iteration at the same time, getting stuff done and executing has been a big, big part of it. And and literally over the last 16 years, through millions of small steps, all aiming in a right big term direction, Roblox has evolved to what it is today. It started out very young, started out very less realistic, started out with a developer community that was 100% volunteer. This is just fun to build stuff. Started migrating into people being able to make a living on Roblox, studios being able to make money, technology getting better in every dimension, avatar system, cloud system, being more and more on more devices. But this has just all been a constant iteration over 16 years. You were a private company for most of the company's history. Um, And then you recently went public in 2021. I always like to hear on the other side of that what that experience was like as a CEO. I think there's always like some lessons on the other side of something like that. Yeah, my, I mean, my message to future CEOs of public companies would be you do a lot of your work before the IPO. And I think we were fortunately running the company almost identically pre-IPO as post-IPO. A couple cool things, generating cash pre-IPO, super nice. (laughs) Um, Having a lot of cash in the bank, super nice. Um, Having a business that we could imagine being 20 times larger without some big pivot, Mm. super nice. Having a philosophy of hiring amazing people, trying to drive innovation, super nice. Having very good modeling forecasting tools, super nice. Um, Having a transparent, open company culture that's pretty established, super nice. So, So for us, we had all of these big things in place. It made the IPO almost uh, less of a big event for us. Hmm. And your revenue has continued to grow even out of the pandemic, but you're still not technically profitable. And you've also you've managed to avoid doing layoffs when I, a lot of your peers in tech have done that. I'm kind of curious to hear your philosophy on cash management, uh, hiring. H- has that changed at all, given just how the market's changed a lot coming out of the pandemic? And now we're talking about new metrics and goals for public companies that we yeah. weren't before. I like that you asked the question about cash management because that's how we run the business. Cash is really king. We're in this interesting um, position right now where, yes, we show a loss on gap accounting. It's interesting that we show that loss because just like in the physical world, in the digital world, we defer a lot of revenue. When someone on Roblox buys a shirt, we don't book it as revenue. We book it over 29 months. Hmm. On a cash basis, we generate a lot of cash. We've invested over $400 million in infra in the last year. We're essentially the same place we are with cash now as we are a year ago. 
And so from a bookings basis, an ability to bring in cash and fund our growth, we run in like an amazingly solid business. And as you correctly note, we continue to hire through these interesting times. I think through, once again, very thoughtful modeling, through a constant approach of bringing great people on, we haven't slowed that down at all. And I think we we announced recently in our earnings call, we're starting to grow bookings more quickly than cost of sales. We think in Q3, our bookings are going to grow more quickly than our infrastructure cost. And next year, we're going to start to see bookings grow more quickly than our headcount cost. Those are all really good indicators of increasing cash margin. How is Roblox structured? Well, I love this question because um, we really think about people and systems as the primary product we're building here. It's almost like the primary product, great people running in somewhat autonomous units that can innovate as quickly as possible. So our org chart inside of the company is almost as if we're running eight smaller companies, Um, companies that very much align with with visions, with areas of innovation. As you mentioned, our infra and our platform, maybe like AWS or Azure Cloud, is a little autonomous unit inside Roblox trying to build the world's best infra for 3D co-experience, run it as as efficiently as possible. We have some great leaders. We, we have another area, which is our 3D simulation engine. That's, you know, we had a great person join us there recently. That's almost like a company, you know, building the best cloud 3D simulation area. We have another area, um, our economy, that's like a whole company, like how we run a great economic model and and all of that. So, so you have literal economists on staff. Uh, we, I, I was in meetings uh, two days ago talking about all kinds of really deep economic stuff. Uh, uh, money supply, inflation, advertising is coming to Roblox. It's super exciting. Uh, we're redesigning our marketplace and expanding it. So it's very rich with a wide range of UGC items. So we we really focus on as much autonomy for each of the groups within the company so they can innovate quickly. And then we keep them nicely coupled at the same time. And when those units need to collaborate and there's disagreements maybe at the high level about how that actually plays out, are you the tiebreaker? You know, as, as your CEO, you want to be tie-breaking as infrequently as possible, you know, because then then people feel that level of autonomy. In certain cases, we have a huge initiative going on this year about communication and con- connection, really what's the future of how people communicate on our platform. And it goes into some of the things we've talked about, facial animation, voice, uh, our simulation engine. In that case, we actually have two of the leaders of two of those groups, the engine group and the user group, acting as shepherds, really, around keeping that all connected, it reduces the CEO tie-breaking. How do you delegate? Um, Always trying to do more, right? Like, isn't that the lesson of a CEO? The more you can delegate, the more individual people can take it over. I think by this structure, where the leaders of these individual groups effectively are like running small companies, it creates amazing opportunity for delegation. And and our individual groups, we get together on a monthly basis and go through all the metrics. Their metrics include cost of headcount. Their metrics include cost of infra. And then for those individual groups, they may have individual metrics. The economy group 
what's our bookings per hour? What's that look like in all different regions? What's that look like in individual cohorts? So I think um, I'm always trying to delegate more. I think every CEO is. In this case, we're, we're trying to combine that with structure and the way we run the company that almost forces delegation. How do you spend your time in terms of where you want to spend it? I think every CEO has a, a passion. Where do you want to be spending the most of it, your time? It's funny because um, more and more, uh, we have an amazing uh, CEO team now. We have uh, three members on the team who are exceptional right now. And we have active dialogues because they're trying to schedule my day. And we're scheduling, used to be scheduling 30. We're now into 15 and 10 and 5 kind of stuff. And they are actually pointing out to me places where the time management could be better. And it, time is so valuable. We're always trying to balance uh, leadership time, recruiting time, engineering time. And we've almost formed this amazing partnership where we're, we're designing the schedule around that time management because time is very valuable. Do you find yourself gravitating to one area the most? Is it like, I really want to be in product <sighs> reviews if I can? I mean, we, in the early days of Roblox, it was two of us writing code. Yeah. And there are some meaty, complex systems problems that are very technical that you, you, you just, oh my gosh, so fun to work on that, right? And And those things are super fun to work on because you can imagine... Time and time again, early on, it was us designing these systems. Now we have amazing people designing these systems. So it's much more of a mentorship thing or mm -hmm. just a little, here's what we've seen before. Yeah. But time and time again, when we build these really good systems, like our virtual economy, if they're built right, they work for 10 years and they, they keep going. So building those kind of systems are super exciting. I think the recruiting time has gotten more and more fun for mm -hmm. me. Because it, it turns into uh, not really recruiting time, it's educational time. I think people underestimate the amount of time that CEOs spend on recruiting these days. And it's, it's a huge focus. We, I just before this meeting spent 30, you know, the daily 30 minutes with my, our executive team going through all of the people I'm talking with on a recruiting basis. But that, that recruiting time has become a lot more fun because they're so educational and mind-blowing, you know, get to go hang out with amazing people. And, yeah. and, and I learn a lot in recruiting time. Yeah. So I, arguably half or three quarters of what I know about AI is, is through <laughs> use, using yeah. recruiting with some of the world's best people to, to learn from them. All right, one more quick break. Stay with us. We'll be back shortly. Right now, businesses are facing tough choices. Do you cut costs or drive growth? Solve for today or build for tomorrow? Do you satisfy your shareholders or satisfy your customers? The answer is yes. You don't have to choose. With the intelligent platform for digital business from ServiceNow, you can say yes to unifying your existing systems and yes to accelerating growth. Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow. Wow, 
that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. We're back. I'm Alex Heath, deputy editor at The Verge, chatting with CEO of Roblox, David Bazuki. I want to turn a little bit to regulation and moderation, two two fun topics, Um, and they kind of intersect. There's this huge push right now to really keep kids off the internet, I would say, in Congress here, especially in the U.S. I'm talking about. Um, There's like a a COPPA 2.0 bill. There's all these talks of we should ban social media for kids. Roblox is right in the center of this debate with such a young audience. What are your conversations like uh, with lawmakers on this? Is this I something you guys talk about with them? How do you how do you think about this? I think we're in an exceptional position, both from a company culture point of view, as well as from strategically what we're building as a platform. I mean, our civility people are out speaking in various forums, trying to take a leadership role in what's the vision for kids on the internet. And if you if you scan some of the places we're participating, you'll see us actually trying to drive the discussion here. There's an interesting thing around... Um, my belief of what we mean when we say social media. And social media means a lot of things. It can mean you and I sharing photos about our life and everyone else looking at them and comparing them. It can mean uh, you and I consuming short form video a lot. Uh, But it can also mean you and I hanging out and communicating in a virtual environment and doing some of the things we do in the real world. Um, What we saw over COVID, how do you stay connected with your friends or your grandparents? How do you have an authentic communication? I think legislators are getting more and more savvy that social media isn't just one big thing, that it's, it's it's a variety of things, some which are, once again, sharing imagery, some which are our video, but some that are almost more akin to the phone system. How do we communicate? How do we stay connected? And so I'm I'm optimistic about the direction we're going. I I think I'm optimistic about a direction around civility, around safe communication, around learning with your friends. Um, I think a lot of the things that people are starting to build on Roblox, I think are very positive things for the world. And it seems like you all are leaning heavily into age verification as a way to keep the platform safe because you do have the potential for strangers to interact. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that in many areas, we lead with company values and vision ahead of legal restraint, you know, and and I think we self-correct well before legislation, in many ways. So our voice rollout, we're being very, very thoughtful on that. Our 17 and up, as you, as you notice, full on photo ID verification, which is beyond probably most apps out there. But we believe, I think typically by doing this hard stuff that we start, you know, we do create this opportunity for this billion user platform uh, that we're optimistic. Let's be honest, the, the verification is also, it's a business growth barrier. 
in the near term. Like if you were being purely capitalistic about it, you wouldn't uh, try to do this. Right? We, we have this saying, um, optimize five-year enterprise value. Hmm. So, you know, like if we could say, how do we optimize Roblox's enterprise value in 2028? It's probably what we're doing is going to optimize that because we are eventually going to get to larger and larger numbers of 17 through 24. We generate more than enough growth and cash to like say, oh, we got to let every 17 year old on right now. And so I, I do think it's a little bit of a long term optimization rather than short term. I, like I said, don't have kids. I, I did talk to some friends who have kids on Roblox ahead of this to kind of hear about their experience as parents with kids on the platform. I heard a kind of reoccurring thing. They were like, you should ask David about this. What do you say to parents who have already witnessed their kids experiencing uh, things on Roblox that are not age appropriate, that are not up to your standards as a company? Obviously, you're not going to catch everything, but who are now worried going, oh, and now they're going to they're trying to age up the platform and get more mature yeah. experiences on. That's that, that was a thing I heard from, from several parents. I, I would say um, since day one, we have zero tolerance for that kind of stuff. There's sometimes bad actors on our platform trying to get some content out. I'd say it's continuously getting better on our platform. We're not 100% perfect, but we're getting very, very, very good at that. I think 17 and up is going to be very rigorous as far as who can access it. Any 17 and up content, once again, is going to be gated by photo ID. So they're they're not going to see that. Um, but I would say we have zero tolerance. And I, I think it's kind of our top priority. Our safety group and team is probably the largest group in the company right now, if not. And um, so it's a big focus for us. Do you think like the more um, more mature things like nudity will ever be allowed on Roblox in any way? What I would say is we would lead first and foremost with safety and civility. And then second with mirroring what happens in the physical world. And so I, w I would never rule it out. I would say getting to that kind of stuff probably isn't in the short-term future. With Roblox being such a UGC-heavy platform in all ways, and people creating items, creating literal virtual objects to the actual just interactions that human beings have as their avatars, uh, what are some of the moderation challenges there? I imagine they're very unique to a platform like Roblox, and you've built a lot of this in-house over the years. What have you observed in kind of how, when you first kind of started to really do moderation to where you've gotten now, like, what, was there a moment where you're like, we have to approach it this way? Like, this is the only way we're going to fix it. Kind of walk me through that journey of like how yeah, moderation the journey's started. Pretty interesting. So imagine four of us in a small office in Menlo Park being live for about a month <laughs> and uh, peak times, maybe 50 people on the platform. Yeah. And the temptation, okay, more engineering, more engineering. There's so much more stuff we can build. And then my partner, Eric, saying, we have to build a moderation system. And so it was actually um, a real values moment for us to say, okay, yeah, this is what we're going to work on a month in as we're growing. Um, all the way to the point, probably for two to three months, the four of us, we were the moderators. And so we, we rotated uh, being moderators every day uh, as part of it as we gained experience there. So it, it really started very early I think it's always been a top focus for us. The challenges just get more and more complex 
all the time and we get better and better and better all the time. But the, the core value has always been there. I don't think we've said the word metaverse yet, which is frankly amazing uh, this far into the conversation. I think yeah. if we were having this conversation a couple of years ago, we would have said it in the first like 60 yeah. seconds. So there's that. And then there's this whole generative AI thing, which is kind of the new metaverse in a way in, ter- in terms of it's a, it's, it's a buzzword. I think there's a little more to it than that. Um, how have you watched the conversation change into kind of the AI wave that we're in now? And Roblox is is putting out some really interesting stuff in this area in generative AI. How do those two ideas intersect and relate? I, I like the I like the notion that irrespective of the news cycle or <laughs> what's been going on, our product development trajectory has been relatively consistent and smooth and straightforward. So so I like the the notion that what we were doing five years ago blends into what we're doing today in a smooth fashion, driven by our own vision rather than the news cycle. We've always called ourselves a human co-experience platform. We've always talked about being a communication and connection platform, a place where we reimagine the way people come together. Metaverse is a word that actually was hot 14 years ago, um, subsided, got hot again three or four years ago. And I think we road that. That said, on the metaverse angle, we do believe this new emerging category runs on all devices, which is really cool. It runs on, you know, phone, tablet, computer, console, uh, VR, AR devices, all of that. So I think we've been very consistent there. Same on the AI thing in that our trust and safety team's been running all kinds of AI models for the last three or four years, both on quality and on cost. And we, we've gotten to the point where I think over 98% of the 3D models, for example, that are submitted don't go through AI scans that are more accurate than human scans right now. So this is both a quality and a cost benefit. Um, we started rolling out more creation type AI, so both the material generation and code generation. But there's so much opportunity here. And, yeah. And just so I mean, we can imagine uh, what it could be someday. There's that Westworld episode yeah. where someone sits down and says, do this and right. do this. The narrative that, storyteller. That's all going to happen. You think so? Absolutely. And it's going to happen not just in Roblox Studio. It's going to happen in all of the experiences made by Roblox creators as well. It's so funny so. you brought up that because I've been thinking about that scene and that that concept in Westworld myself with where the tech is going, you really do think we're going to get to that point where people are speaking things into existence? Absolutely. Like, And I think what's unique about Roblox is those will not just be you know, static things. Those will be functional scenarios. Hmm. Those will be NPCs backed by AI. Those will be hmm. possibly have logic in them. So how many years out do you think we are from a creator being able to type or speak a, a world into existence on Roblox? Uh, I think we're very cl- close to, like, we're not five years out. Wow. It's less than that. Wow. Um, on competition, I'm really curious. I don't think I've heard you talk about this yet. Epic Games has their Unreal editor for Fortnite yeah. and are doing some interesting things on the economic side, too, in terms of how they're sharing revenue with creators, yeah. which is, I think, a net positive for the industry. Yes, yes. Creators yes. getting more money. They're approaching it differently uh, than you all are, and they have kind of different use cases. What do you make of what they're doing with Fortnite and trying to turn it into more of an open world uh, creator uh, economy? 
We're so proud of the kind of this leading platform we've arrived at with all of our developers and super proud about that. And we're all, we are also really proud of the notion that early on UGC for us was so important and it's, it, it, it has proven to be just such an innate thing ultimately that it's a big thing for everyone. So we're super proud of that. We continue to just be once again, super proud of the economic opportunity on Roblox as well. We'll probably distribute over $800 million this year. We are starting to see these VC backed studios. And I do think, you know, we invite all of the creators on Roblox. If I, if I think about a creator and what are they thinking about such a range of awesome creators out there. Okay, I'm 13. I want to try making something. Can I push it live and have it run in every language? And can I go viral? I'm I'm maybe me and three or four people want to build something really interesting and go live. Or I run a 200-person studio and want to both make my own stuff as well as brands. And can can all of those work? Can all of those have a hope to not just being on a 60 million person platform, but a billion user platform. We're very thoughtful about all of them. And I think like they're joining us in this really long-term opportunity. So, so you think uh, you still have the most attractive revenue sharing arrangements and, and payouts in the market? I think we have an amazingly attractive um, opportunity. Well, the reason I just say that is because I know it's different with the way they're doing it, but the, the percentages are, are, are different. I'm wondering if with what they're doing, Horizon World's coming to mobile later this year, most likely, do you see there being more competition in the rev share that you give creators? And is that something that Roblox will eventually change because of the competitive dynamics? Or do you think think you don't need to? I think what we want to do as a public company is grow continuously bigger and bigger. I think we want to offer those devs ultimately not a 65 million DAU platform, but a billion mm-hmm. DAU platform. DAU, by the way, daily active users. And I think we run a run the company in a way. So the the core expenses, cost of sales, in, you know, our employees, what we spend for infra are run so efficiently that the raw cash being generated, as much of that as possible can go to the devs. And so what I'm saying is it's, I think it's bigger than just the percent distribution. Yeah. I think it's what's the platform and what's the total economic value yeah. going to those devs. I think it's what's the size of the user base on the platform. I think it's the variety of what's the quality of the tooling. I think what's the opportunity for search and discovery. It, so it's so rich that I think RevShare is a small part of it. it. And I think very early, we're a little bit used to this in the early days of Roblox when we continuously try to move as much money to the developer community. The only thing to compare to was the iOS app store, right. which was 70, 30. Right. It's it very similar. You know, it's mm. like, well, why aren't you giving 70? Yeah. Well, it's because we have infinitely sharding infra and we have trust and safety and we have moderation and we have a lot of these other things that make it happen. So, I, when I empathize with devs and imagine I'm devs, I feel very strongly about our opportunity. Have you tried the Apple Vision Pro yet? I have not. They're being very scarce they are. with yeah. them. I was one of the lucky few. It blew me away visually. And I, I'm wanting to ask you about that because you, you, 
Roblox is technically available on VR headsets, but you really haven't embraced it, I, I would say, full-throatedly as a company, that, that category of headsets. I'm interested with the Quest 3 coming out later this year by Meta, Apple's vision line that they seem committed to. Do you see an opportunity for Roblox in this category that is perhaps bigger than what you've done to date? I, I, think, there's, uh, I think the opportunity is really big to imagine a platform like this that runs on every device. Hmm. And, and I, I think just like 2D HTML was early on something that jumped from PCs to phone with the Apple iPhone, um, pinch and zoom and all yeah. of that. I think 3D immersive is that same way. Once again, phone, tablet, computer, console, living room, VR. So yeah, I'm bullish on VR in the sense that it offers super deep immersion. When I boot up a eight to 10 year old Roblox experience that I might've made 10 years ago and go into it in VR, it's a whole new deal. Yeah. Like I'm here yeah. now kind of thing. I would say we want to be on all platforms and we definitely want to be on VR and stay tuned. Last question. This is one is actually from my colleague's eight-year-old godson. Who, oh, the best question. Uh, wants to know, um, is there a way to get infinite Robux? Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking... I'm looking at our team. Yeah. <laughs> so the, like this could be kind of like a really good educational opportunity. As a parent, you can imagine, okay, there's a company, a company has shares of stock. There's the US and they have the money supply. And then there's Roblox. And in each one of those things- What, what, what is it, Roblox in that analogy? Well, well, there's interesting things in each one okay. of those when you print infinite things. Mm. So if Roblox as a company printed another billion shares, there'd be a lot of dilution. That's and right. you know, our shares would be now worth two pennies. So, okay, the value of the company stays the same, more shares, less value. Uh, I won't get into the U.S. money supply, but one <laughs> could argue that if the U.S. increased the money supply by 2x, the value of what you buy with a dollar might drop. I think it might. We, we may be experiencing yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have to be careful. And so that's probably the reason why we can't give out infinite Robux mm. is because if we did and one person had infinite Robux, the pricing of every item, uh, everything our developers do would probably reduced by a factor of 100. Kids, this is why it's important to learn about inflation. That's right. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave it there. David, thanks so much for joining Thank me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. So thanks fun. for having me. Thank you. Thanks again to David Pasuki for taking the time to join Decoder today. Thanks to Alex Heath for guest hosting. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find Alex at his newsletter, Command Line. It's theverge.com slash command line. It is just jam-packed with scoops each week. And as we mentioned before, Alex will be interviewing David at the Code Conference this year. We would love to see you there. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of Decoder. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com. I promise I read all the emails and I reply to many more than you think. You can also hit us up on TikTok. We're at DecoderPod. It's a surprising amount of fun being on TikTok with a business podcast like this. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, hit us with that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This episode was produced by Raghu Manavalan, Viren Pavic, and Jackie McDermott. It was edited by Callie Wright. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive director is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time.